Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Ashley Varner, Senior Director of Program with the Cancer Support Community, filling in this week for our President and CEO, Kim Tabaldo. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, the largest provider of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the findings of a recent research study that could change the way breast cancer is treated. The study was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association in February of 2011 and made headlines around the world. The focus of the study has to do with removal of lymph nodes as standard treatment for breast cancer. Typically, when a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, she has surgery to remove the cancer from her breast. Until recently, surgeons removing cancer would also remove lymph nodes from under the arm, believing that the removal of these lymph nodes would prolong a woman's life by keeping the cancer from spreading or from coming back. The removal of lymph nodes has been considered standard practice for the treatment of breast cancer for decades. However, results from this new study suggest that many women who are diagnosed at an early stage may not need aggressive surgery to remove lymph nodes from under their arms. You might be wondering why this is such good news. When numerous lymph nodes are removed from the armpit, it can cause complications like infection and a condition called lymphedema. Lymphedema is a condition that results in painful swelling of the arm, and while physical therapy can help manage its symptoms, we don't yet have a cure for it. So that's why this research is such significant news. Women who have only a small number of lymph nodes removed have the same rate of survival as women who have multiple nodes removed and have fewer complications resulting from the surgery. This new research could affect up to 20% of people diagnosed with breast cancer, and that's 40,000 people a year in the U.S. alone. It's important to keep in mind that these results apply to a specific type of cancer patient diagnosed at an early stage. New findings in cancer research can be confusing at times, so today we're hoping to discuss the results of this study in terms that everyone can understand. We'll also talk about how these findings will change the treatment of breast cancer today and in the future. 
As a reminder to everyone who's listening today, the topics discussed on our show are not intended to take the place of medical advice. If you are facing a breast cancer diagnosis or somebody that you love is and have questions about these recent findings, be sure to discuss them with your doctor. So to help us with our understanding, we're thrilled to welcome Dr. George Sledge to the show to help explain what these findings mean for the medical community at large and for individuals who receive a diagnosis of breast cancer. Dr. Sledge is a professor of oncology medicine and pathology at Indiana University. He is a cancer researcher who specializes in targeted therapies for breast cancer, among other notable achievements. Dr. Sledge is also the 2010-2011 president of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, a professional society for oncology practitioners. Dr. Sledge, we're truly honored to have you here with us today. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And we are also joined by Sharice Tashuri, a 27-year-old breast cancer survivor living in Los Angeles, California. Charissa is a member of the Cancer Support Communities Affiliate in Santa Monica, California, and a vocal advocate for breast cancer survivors. She recently contributed to a new publication from the Cancer Support Community, Frankly Speaking About Cancer, Spotlight on Breast Reconstruction. Charissa is here today to raise some important questions about these recent findings from the perspective of a, cancer, a breast cancer survivor. Welcome, Charissa. We're so pleased to have you on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. We have much to discuss on today's show, so let's go ahead and get started. Dr. Sledge, can you first clarify for us who these study results apply to? Well, the study was designed to look at patients with early-stage breast cancer defined as having a uh, small to medium-sized tumor, uh, up to two inches in diameter in terms of the cancer, uh, who were uh, scheduled to undergo uh, lymph node dissection, removal uh, of the lymph glands uh, from the armpit. Uh, In the trial, uh, women uh, uh, could have one or two of their lymph nodes involved at the time that they underwent what's known as a sentinel lymph node biopsy. So that's the general population that went into the study. Okay. That's very helpful. And for women who are diagnosed at this early stage, stage 1 or stage 2, what are the benefits of not having a full lymph node dissection? Well, morbidity or side effects of of lymph node dissection is related almost entirely to how many lymph nodes one takes out. The more lymph nodes you remove, the greater the likelihood of developing lymphedema or arm arm swelling after surgery, uh, which can be a devastating long-term complication for some patients. Uh, Also, uh, there are other uh, toxicities associated with lymph node dissection. Uh, Patients can have numbness or tingling in their arms, uh, and they can have limitation of, of motion around their shoulder, what we call a frozen shoulder. Okay. So do you think that, um, that women that, that, that are a candidate for this and have fewer lymph nodes removed, are they likely to experience less pain as well? Yes, certainly. Uh, uh, the more lymph nodes you remove, the more damage you're likely to do to the nerves that flow through uh, the armpit uh, to the arm. So certainly less uh, pain, less tingling, less, uh, less numbness. Okay. That's helpful. And, and if a woman is eligible for this limited lymph node removal, and, and of course she should talk with her, her physician to determine because everyone is, is so different, but if she is a candidate for this, can you explain how her surgery and recovery might differ from a woman who has the full removal of lymph nodes from under the arm? What happens well, in the surgery? 
Well, what makes this study as important is that in the past, we've done sentinel lymph node biopsy for a long time, but in the past, if one had a positive sentinel lymph node, one or two positive sentinel lymph nodes, we routinely went on to a full lymph node dissection where you would remove a lot more. Now, what's important about this study, what's exciting about this study is that for women who have only a limited number of lymph nodes involved, it appears that going to a full lymph node dissection adds nothing in terms of long-term survival. So that means after doing a very limited lymph node dissection, what we call a sentinel lymph node biopsy, uh, if there's only one or two lymph nodes involved or if there's no lymph nodes involved, then you're all through and don't need to do any more in terms of lymph node dissection. Okay. And for for those of us with 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 um, that are that are new to this area, can you describe a little more fully what a sentinel lymph node biopsy is? Well, it's it, it's sentinel or dissection. Sure, a, a sentinel in the sense of uh, the sentinel who guards the camp, if you will, uh, the lymph nodes that drain the breast, uh, located in the armpit. Uh, we discover those at the time of surgery uh, by injecting a dye. Uh, this dye can be either a blue dye or a radioactive dye or both that tracks to the first or sentinel lymph nodes uh, outside of the breast. Uh, the surgeon at the time of surgery goes in and, and, and plucks out just these lymph nodes rather than removing all of the lymph nodes in the armpit, which would have uh, been the routine in the past. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's kind of the, the very first place. If anything was going to spread, it's the first place that it's it would It's the first to go. place the cancer cells track to when they leave the breast. Okay. And if a woman is eligible for, lymphoid, for limited lymph node removal, will her treatment plan be different from someone who has the full dissection? It will not, in the sense that if a, a patient has positive lymph nodes, that's, that's a patient who's likely to receive some further systemic therapy, such as uh, chemotherapy or hormonal therapy or HER2-targeted therapy, depending on, on their tumor type. She would receive that whether or not uh, she had a full lymph node dissection or not. Uh, and for a woman who's undergoing a lumpectomy, in other words, breast-conserving surgery, uh, it's been standard of care to, for those women to receive radiation therapy to their breast and, and to their armpit. So uh, that will not change either. Okay. So the, so, so the results of this finding, of this research study then, if I'm understanding you, is that, that for women who are eligible, eligible for limited lymph node removal, they're now eligible for this limited lymph node removal, but it's not going to change the overall course of their treatment other that's, than at the time of surgery. That's correct. We, when we talk about treating breast cancer, we're, of course, very interested in local control of the disease, but in the long term, women live or die based upon whether or not we control the disease outside the breast. And so that control of the disease outside the breast represents, in essence, a different form of therapy, Uh, systemic therapies or therapies for the entire body. And those are not affected by by what one does to the lymph nodes. That's very helpful, Dr. Sledge. And another question I had, if a woman is diagnosed at an early stage, and and again, I think we have to emphasize that that's what this this research is is applicable to, women who are diagnosed at an early stage with a a relatively small tumor size, less than five centimeters, no palpable lymph nodes, no evidence of any disease outside the breast, any cancer outside the breast, if a woman is diagnosed at this early stage, what kinds of questions should she be asking her doctor to determine whether whether or not she is eligible for limited um, node removal? 
Well, uh, first, of course, uh, she should ask her surgeon uh, how familiar the surgeon is with the study. This is a this is a new study, and of course, like all new studies, will take some while to migrate out. I think it's also important, and, and this is true of all women who are who are looking at breast cancer surgery, to get some sense of how familiar their, the surgeon is with simply doing sentinel lymph node dissections. Sentinel lymph node dissections uh, uh, require a reasonable level of expertise, and and you certainly want a surgeon who has done this a fair amount. Uh, so asking your surgeon, how often have you done this? What's been your experience with it is certainly important. So you would encourage women who are recently diagnosed with breast cancer to ask their doctors about the results of this study as, as part of that, that process. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I think... Uh, 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 treatment for breast cancer represents a collaborative effort between patient and physician, and uh, the more questions you ask, uh, the more information you are likely to get. Uh, and more importantly, I think it, it, it puts your physician on notice as well that uh, you're an informed consumer and, and that uh, you deserve the best of treatment for your disease. That's a very important point, and, and um, so it sounds like you would also support folks who, who feel like they want to get a second opinion to go ahead and do that, or even a third opinion, to be sure that they're getting the best care. Absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, you never lose anything by getting more information. All right. Well, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We'll be right back with more after the break. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Azi and Morphotech. I'm your host, Ashley Varner. I'm joined today by Dr. George Sledge, a well-known oncologist and researcher from the University of Indiana, 
Dr. Sledge is also the president of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, also known as ASCO. We're also joined by Shrista Shuri, a breast cancer survivor and member of the Cancer Support Community Affiliate in Santa Monica, California. Our show today focuses on a recent discovery in the treatment of breast cancer. The study suggests that some women diagnosed with early-stage breast cancer may not need to undergo extensive surgery to remove lymph nodes from under their arms. As a reminder, the information discussed on today's show is not intended to take the place of medical advice. If you are facing a breast cancer diagnosis, be sure to speak with your doctor about your treatment options. Dr. Sledge, oncologists have been removing lymph nodes from under the arm of breast cancer patients for decades. Why do you think the issue of node removal is just now being explored? Well, it's a great question, and and the answer is it's not just now being explored. It's been explored uh, for several decades now, but we've had a progressive evolution of our understanding of the lymph nodes. At one time, we thought that you had to remove all of the lymph nodes to preserve the survival of the patient. Uh, We learned several decades ago that that wasn't true. Uh, The sentinel lymph node biopsy only came in in the early 1990s, and we're only now seeing the large phase three trials that have relatively long term follow-up to give us a definitive scientific answer. This trial is one of several trials that have come out literally in the last two or three years uh, that have given, are giving us pretty similar results. A large trial from the, from the NSABP, the National Surgical Adjuvant uh, Breast Project, uh, randomized women to sentinel lymph node dissection or to sentinel lymph node dissection plus axillary lymph node dissection. Those results have been presented just within the past year and, and give results that are very similar uh, to the American College of Surgeons study that we're d- discussing today. Uh, this is a, the end, I would say, of an evolution of research uh, into local control that goes back over the past three to four decades, and it, I must say it's a very pleasant ending to this research. <laughs> it is a pleasant ending. And, and so I guess what I'm hearing, the, the New York Times wrote, uh, I guess what I'm hearing is that to some extent um, the 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 the, the press that this particular study is receiving um, has to do with having being built on other studies that have come before it. And so when the New York Times wrote that this study, quote-unquote, shakes the pillar of breast cancer care and, quote, turns standard medical practice on its head, do you agree with that statement? And, and is it not just this study, but, but all of these studies combined that, that have culminated in that? I, I would say it's the latter. It's all of the studies combined. Uh, this, you know, we did this study because we expected this might be a possible outcome. Uh, so it's perhaps not surprising that when you do a study and get one of the two outcomes in the study, that that's, you know, that uh, was not totally unexpected. Uh, I will say it is surprising to many physicians that you could leave cancer in the lymph nodes because clearly we're doing that for some women uh, and not have that affect the ultimate survival of the patient, not have that be a detriment to the survival of the patient. Uh, So that, I think, for many was a surprising uh, result of the study. Uh, But it is the result, it is the scientific verdict, and it's one that I think physicians actually will be pleased with because it allows us uh, to do less uh, morbidity-inducing therapy for our patients. I think that's a really important point, and I bet Sharice is going to have some questions for you uh, about that a little bit later in the show. Uh, in a practical sense, what do these findings mean for breast cancer patients? You, you just mentioned that, that 
for some women, it means that that not not all nodes are going to be taken out that have cancer that might have cancer cells in them. Can you explain what the study will mean for the way that we treat breast cancer currently and in the future? Well. In immediate terms, what it what it should imply is that for many women, not all, but for many women, they'll be having significantly less surgery. That once they have done their sentinel lymph node dissection, in essence, they'll be through uh, and can leave the hospital earlier and can leave the hospital realizing that their ultimate survival will be equivalent, but that they will have less pain, less morbidity, better arm motion, less uh, arm swelling. Uh, so longer term, that will mean that these women will be able to live more effective, more functional lives with, with less discomfort. Okay. And, and so that's what it means in the immediate sense. And, and, and as, as we move forward, where do you think research is going to go in this arena? Is this, is, has this been kind of complete, this section of research been completed? Uh, I think in terms of local control of the disease, we're actually uh, pretty darn good in terms of preventing local recurrences of breast cancer at this point. The major challenges in breast cancer today represent preventing recurrence outside the breast uh, and treating advanced breast cancer. There we have a lot of work to do and a lot of research ahead of us. Okay. So what I'm hearing is in a practical sense, the findings of this particular study mean that outcomes um, for, for women who qualify, they, they can expect an outcome equivalent to having a complete, having all of those nodes removed, um, that, 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 that the outcome of having limited um, node removal will be the same as um, or equivalent to the, the outcomes that we've seen in the past with having all of the nodes removed, but with, with fewer side effects, yes, long-term well, side effects. Absolutely, though, again, with the important qualifier that there are some women who this research does not apply to. If a woman has a very large breast cancer or what we call an inflammatory breast cancer where, where the breast cancer involves the skin, or if the woman has a, a, a lump that you can feel on the armpit, this research does not apply to her. I think that's a really important clarification, and, and one of the, the things that we've seen is that people aren't exactly sure who it applies to and who it doesn't, so thank you for clarifying that. Charista, can you tell us, I'd like to turn to you now, can you tell us a little bit about your personal experience with breast cancer when you were diagnosed and, and, and what treatment you've experienced? Yes, well, actually I'm happy to say that I'm a one-and-a-half-year breast cancer survivor. Um, I was diagnosed in September of 2009. I was 25 years old, and um, I actually discovered the lump myself during a self-breast exam. So after a couple months of meeting with different doctors and getting multiple opinions, uh, I had a double mastectomy, uh, and at the same time I began the first phase of the breast reconstruction process. Um, I had about four months of chemotherapy treatment. I had six weeks of radiation treatment. Um, I was on one year of Herceptin, um, and Herceptin was a targeted, is a targeted therapy. Uh, I was, uh, well, my breast cancer was HER2 positive. And so I just finished the year-long treatment of the Herceptin, and I also just recently finished one of the final phases of my breast reconstruction. So... I'm happy to almost be done with the treatment and, and all of that reconstruction. So it feels good. Congratulations. I, I bet you are. That's a, that's a long road to, to, to have uh, journeyed. Um, and, and, Teresa, you are a member of the Cancer Support Community affiliate out, affiliate out in Santa Monica. 
And um, I know that you're an active participant in multiple cancer groups there, right? Yes, I am. And, and as someone who is active and involved in the cancer community, have you heard a lot of buzz about these recent findings? I know that you recently went to the Young Survival Coalition meeting. Yeah, I did. Um, last weekend, actually, I was at the um, conference for young survivors. Um, and to be honest with you, uh, I didn't hear much talk about the study at the conference. Um, and then after coming home, and uh, I actually talked to some of my other young survival uh, survivor friends that I know through the Young Survival Coalition, and I also talked to survivors that I know from the Cancer Support um, Community Affiliate in Santa Monica, and I think after talking to them, it seems that uh, there's some confusion maybe about the results of the study and what they mean. Um, and also specifically, I think a lot of survivors, including myself and the ones that I spoke to, we've already been treated and many of us have already gone through um, lymph node dissection. So I think for us, we don't quite know how this study applies to our own breast cancer experience. Um, but I'm really happy to be a part of this show and that Dr. Sledge could come onto the show as well and help clarify some of the confusion and answer a lot of these questions that we all have. I think that's a, a very, very um, important point. And I, I wonder, um, Dr. Sledge, if you can speak to briefly if this, if, if, we know that the, the, the findings of the study apply to folks with a small tumor size, you know, less than five centimeters, no palpable lymph nodes, no evidence of disease in areas outside the breast. Is there any, are there any, um, has anybody looked at their research with, with young versus older uh, folks at the time of diagnosis? Well, as far as we know, age doesn't make a huge difference in, in terms of uh, whether or not these findings are appropriate. Uh, we would apply these to, to all women regardless of age. Okay, that's very helpful. And this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We'll be right back with more after the break. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. 
Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today, today's episode is being brought to you in part by Genentech and Celgene. I'm Ashley Varner, and I'm here with Dr. George Sledge, a medical oncologist and researcher specializing in breast cancer, and Sharice Tashori, a breast cancer survivor. Today we're talking about the recent groundbreaking study which may change the way breast cancer is treated. As we mentioned before the break, Sharice Tashori was diagnosed with breast cancer in September of 2009. Today she is cancer-free. Sharice still remains an active member of the cancer community and a vocal patient advocate. She has been discussing the results of this study with other breast cancer survivors and found that many of them are confused and even skeptical of the new information. Sharista, thank you for being here as a representative of the breast cancer community, and I'd like to turn the show over to you to voice some of the questions you've been hearing from other survivors. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Um, And Dr. Sledge, thank you so much again for coming on to the show and allowing me to answer, or sorry, allowing me to ask you all these questions and um, help clarify the results from the study for us a bit more. My pleasure. Um, Well, my first question, uh, I have a friend, uh, she's a young survivor, and she says she's hesitant to trust the results from the study. And they kind of make her a little bit uneasy. And she actually asked her surgeon, and he said that the data was still too new to rely on at this time. So my question to you is, what would you say to her about the reliability of these findings? Um, And is there consensus among your colleagues about the findings? Well, the findings are are good for as long as the patients have been followed, and the fo- patients have been followed in this study for an average of about six years, uh, at least as far out as they go. Uh, if one looks at the, the survival curves and disease-free survival curves in these studies, the, the results are, are absolutely identical. There is just simply no hint or suggestion uh, that patients who have more extensive surgery do better than, than patients who have the lesser surgery. So I'm personally quite comfortable with that. Uh, if uh, someone would be more comfortable waiting till we're out at year 10 or year 15 rather than year 6, I, I can't argue with that. Uh, but in general, uh, uh, by the time we've reached six years, uh, a lot of local recurrences that would have been slated to occur already have occurred. Uh, so I, I am personally very comfortable with these results. Oh, good. Well, thank you. And 
Are, have any cancer centers actually started acting on the results from the study? Well, there are certainly surgeons in my center who are, who are uh, acting on this, and I certainly know uh, surgeons uh, in other centers who are. Uh, just looking at the, the list of names uh, of those who were involved in this study, uh, Monica Morrow, who's the senior author on this study, is, is the head of breast cancer surgery at Memorial Sloan Kettering, pardon me, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Institute in New York City, you know, one of our nation's largest cancer centers. Armando Giuliano, who's at the John Wayne Cancer Institute in California, is certainly one of the great breast cancer surgeons in the country. So I think the word will get out fairly quickly from researchers as important as this. Great. So I guess as you mentioned before, it's important for maybe women who are newly diagnosed to, to ask um, their doctor about the results from the study and see if it applies to them. Indeed. Now, I, if, I think your, your questions raise an important point, however, which is uh, do we need to look at local control issues differently in younger women than we do in, in, in older women with breast cancer? And the answer to that, of course, is most definitely yes. Uh, younger women, because in general their cancers have not been found by screening mammography, are, are more likely to present with somewhat larger tumors. The biology of their tumors is that they frequently have more aggressive subtypes of breast cancer, such as triple negative breast cancers, that frequently present as bigger tumors or as tumors that have lumps in the armpit. In other words, women who might not be candidates for this trial. And, of course, younger women, uh, we know, uh, are at greater risk uh, for having uh, uh, issues uh, such as a genetic mutation, a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation, that puts them at higher risk for developing a second primary tumor down the road. Uh, so for all of these reasons, uh, we certainly look at younger women different in terms of local control issues than we do at, uh, than older women. But if a woman meets the criteria uh, for what uh, allowed entry into the trial, I'd certainly be comfortable uh, living by the trial results. Wow, well, that's a wonderful answer. Thank you. Um, so then I guess another question I have for you is, do the findings and the conclusions from the study apply to all tumor grades? Because, for example, myself, I was a grade 3 mm -hmm. uh, tumor. So what did the study find in terms of grade tumors? And well, I don't think we know the result, uh, the answer to that yet. Um, the uh, that. That question has actually been asked uh, uh, in one of the uh, earlier presentations of this trial, and, I, and my recollection is, is that they had not performed that analysis yet. Uh, and indeed, it may be a little bit difficult to perform that analysis for, for specific subgroups just because the numbers in the trial are, are not huge. Uh, there's, uh, in total, uh, a little bit less than, than 1,000 patients entered into this trial. Okay. Um and so you had talked a little bit about um, women who uh, carry the BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene. So if she does carry the gene, does this affect her eligibility for the limited node removal? No, she still would have been a candidate for this trial, and I think the results would still be the same. I think the, the difference for someone who carries a BRCA1 or a BRCA2 mutation goes to the question of whether or not she desires or does not desire uh, prophylactic uh, breast surgery, uh, and in particular, prophylactic mastectomy. If a woman has had uh, uh, breast cancer at a young age in one breast and she knows she is a gene carrier, many of those women uh, opt to have uh, prophylactic mastectomy on the opposite breast. 
because they do not want to face the possibility of, of developing a second cancer many years down the road. Right. Um, and now the study uh, results, they also suggest that there's the same outcome on survival rate, but I'm also wondering about uh, recurrence and the women uh, in, that were involved in this study, will, they be, uh, will there be a continuous long-term follow-up? They will certainly be followed for many more years. It's uh, it's typical in these trials to to follow women out to around year 15. So we'll we'll certainly have further follow up uh, on these women. If we look at um, either local recurrence rates or distant recurrence rates, you know, separate from overall survival, um, the answer is that uh, if you look at what we call disease-free survival. Uh, for the women who had an axillary lymph node dissection, this was, uh, you know, 82% at five years. For women who uh, had a, a sentinel lymph node biopsy alone, it was 83%. This is a, a, what the statisticians tell us is not a statistically significant difference. So they're, they're viewed as being uh, essentially identical from a statistical standpoint. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. The, the answers to all my questions have been extremely helpful and I'm happy that a lot of the questions that my friends and survivors uh, had as well, you've definitely um, answered and, and given us more reassurance about the findings of this study. Thank you so much, Sharista, and thank you, Dr. Sledge. I'm, I'm curious, Dr. Sledge, you know, Sharista and, and I have both asked you about talking with physicians and for those in our audience today who are newly diagnosed and, and who may not be um, going to, the, to, to Sloan Kettering for treatment or who may be in, in a more rural area, um, how, does the, how does the medical community get the word out about studies such as this? And how confident can patients be that, um, that, that their physician will be aware of this study? Well, the history of medicine is certainly that it takes a while for studies to get out. Uh, uh, we get the studies out through the usual means. We, we get them out through major medical journals. This was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. That's certainly a major journal that many physicians receive. Uh, we get the word out uh, through major meetings. This, this data was, had been uh, previously presented at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, the, the major breast cancer meeting that's held every year in the United States. Uh, and certainly we try to get the word out through continuing medical education programs done through my society, the American Society of Clinical Oncology, but also uh, the American College of Surgeons, the Society of Surgical Oncology, all of these hold regular educational meetings uh, for surgeons. Uh, now, having said that, uh, not all physicians are equally interested uh, in continuing medical education. Not all of them are as quick to adopt the results of, of new studies such as this. So I think the patient plays an important role in this process in terms of asking questions. And I think if, if you are a physician and five women in a row come into your office and say, what do you think of the results of the recent JAMA article, I think in a hurry you're likely to read the JAMA article uh, just so that you can appear intelligent in front of your patients. So I, I, th I strongly encourage patients uh, to inquire of their physicians about major results such as, the, such as this. I think it's an important part of our, of our process in terms of making sure that folks stay on top of things. Thank you so much. That's, I think that's just such a very important point that, that, that you bring up, and it's one of the 
the core tenets of the cancer support community is, is what we call the patient active concept, which is that, um, that we all have to take part in our own medical care and that, that it's, it's our responsibility, if you will, to, to be asking questions and to be um, communicating effectively with our, our physician and our medical care team to figure out what's going to be the best plan for, for us because every individual is the expert on, on what works for them but needs all the information that the medical care team can provide. But it's also exceptionally important, if I, if I may add, uh, not all sur- surgeons are equally adept at breast surgery. Uh, basically, any general surgeon can perform breast surgery uh, under the law, uh, but not all general surgeons perform breast surgery regularly. So I think it's really important that, that you ask your, your surgeon when you first meet with that, with that person, you know, how many of these procedures have you done? How comfortable are you with it? Uh, what's, what's your experience in terms of working with plastic surgeons if I wanted to do reconstructive surgery? Do you have a working relationship with a medical oncologist uh, to talk to me about the rest of my therapy and, 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 and a radiation oncologist? Uh, these are very, very important questions that a patient can and should ask, ask their surgeon. Thank you for those. I think those are vital questions that you've just brought up. And I would like to remind our listeners that the information discussed on today's show is not intended to take the place of of medical advice. Just as Dr. Sledge and I have been discussing, it's very important for you to have conversations with your own medical care team who knows the the ins and outs of, of your particular situation. If you are facing a breast cancer diagnosis or if a loved one is facing a breast cancer diagnosis, please be sure to discuss any and all concerns with your doctor. And this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We'll be right back with more after the break. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. If you are a first-year mom or maybe a mother-to-be, tune in every week for From Here to Maternity. Your host, Janet Markovitz, will answer some of those questions that others won't. Learn what to ask your professional and when to ask it. 
We'll take a look at the latest products for new moms and future moms. We're here to support you and answer your questions in this special and sometimes difficult time. From Here to Maternity is broadcast live every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Ashley Varner, and I'm joined today by Dr. George Sledge and breast cancer survivor, Sharice Shuri. Today's show focuses on new findings in the treatment of early-stage breast cancer. In this last segment, I'd like to focus on what these findings may mean for the future of breast cancer treatment. Dr. Sledge, how long will it take for the results of this study to be integrated into the standard of care for breast cancer? Well, hopefully it will occur, occur reasonably quickly. And by reasonably quickly, I mean certainly within the next uh, two to three years, I would hope the word would have been gotten out uh, to most of the surgeons who practice breast surgery in the United States. And, and would, you, would you say that, it, that it's more likely to get out earlier at some of the major cancer centers and to, to, that, the, that it trails behind a bit in the, in the more rural areas, or is that a myth? Well, I think it's important that you have a, a surgeon that does a lot of breast surgery more than anything else. Okay. Uh, that may be in a, in a rural area, that may be in an urban area, that may be in a private practice area, it may be in an academic area. The, what is typically the best measure of high-quality care is how often does, does a physician do a particular procedure. And so having someone who, who does this for a living is probably the most important thing in terms of determining how well they're likely to be at it and how good they're likely to be at it. I think that's, uh, that's very, very helpful. And do you have any predictions? What are your predictions for the future of breast cancer care as a result of this study? Well, this is an important study, but it's, as we mentioned earlier, it's part of an evolution in terms of local therapy. And that evolution, dating back over the last three decades, I guess could be summarized as less is more. Uh, we've learned that not all women need to have a mastectomy uh, from a result of trials of mastectomy uh, versus uh, lumpectomy and radiation therapy. Uh, we've learned uh, that not all women need to have a full axillary lymph node dissection as a result of trials of sentinel lymph node dissection versus axillary lymph node dissection. And now we've learned that even if you have a positive lymph node or two, you don't need to have a full axillary lymph node dissection. So the, the general trend here is clear over the past several decades in terms of local regional therapy. Less is more. At the same time, the, the trend for systemic therapy for therapy for the rest of the body has been a trend in the direction of targeted therapy. And you've, you've, always, you, you've already heard of it today. Uh, if you have a HER2 positive breast cancer, then you need targeted therapy that targets the HER2 molecule, so drugs such as, as Herceptin. If you have an estrogen-sensitive cancer, you need uh, therapy that targets uh, estrogen receptor-positive disease. If you have a cancer that lacks both estrogen sensitivity and, and HER2 targeting, then we have very specific chemotherapy agents for that. We're, we're entering an area of, of molecularly targeted therapies where we're going to have increasing therapeutic individualization where for 
particular patients are going to get particular therapies that are directed specifically at their disease, and that's a great trend. It is a great trend, and, and so what I think I'm hearing is is that one of the things that we've learned is that not not all cancer is the same. That each cancer is 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 a little bit different, and so when you speak of uh, treating on the molecular level, what's happening now is that the cancer is being looked at for what it specifically brings bring what, what specifically has gone wrong and for that particular cancer to arise and treating that particular issue rather than one size fits all treatment. Is that Absolutely. Correct? Absolutely. What what I what I tell my oncology fellows when I train them is that they, they should view breast cancer not as a single disease but but think of the breast rather as, as a boarding house, if you will, that has has a number of different criminals living there. You know, some of them are petty thieves, some of them are killers. You know, they need to be apprehended differently. They they need to be punished differently. And uh, viewing these cancers as as individual diseases rather than just one disease is the path forward to increasing cure and, and decreasing side effects. What a wonderful comparison! That really brings it to the bring makes it make sense to me. Do you think that the findings of this study will inspire additional research on the topic of lymph node removal? I actually think, uh, and I've discussed this with my colleagues, uh, this I think actually uh, in large part brings to an end a generation of studies. I don't think we're, we're going to have a whole lot more studies because these results are so, so definitive. Okay. So that's going to open up other areas for study then because this, this question has more or less been answered. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, once we have the, the definitive answer to a question, it's time to move on to, to another important problem. Because there are just a few other questions out there, I think. There's a lot out there. <laughs> and, uh, and one of the things we look forward to every year is hearing about the new research that's presented at the upco- upcoming um, ASCO meeting that, uh, in, in June. Do you anticipate a lot of discussion around this particular topic? Uh, I know that our, uh, this will be the uh, subject of one of our educational sessions at the ASCO meeting, and I, uh, it's already been the subject of great interest at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium that was held in, in December. In fact, there were several ma- major presentations there on this subject. Interesting, interesting. While we're on the topic of breast cancer research, I wanted to mention the Cancer Support Community's Breast Cancer Survivor Registry called the Mind Affects the Physical Project, or MAP Project for short. Sharissa, can you talk a little bit about the Breast Cancer MAP Project? I, I know that, that, that you've registered. What, tell us a little bit about what the study is looking into and why it's important to you to be a part of it. Sure. Well, uh, the Cancer Support Community they're trying to better understand what the social and emotional needs are for breast cancer survivors. And in order to do this, um, they're wanting to study the breast cancer patient experience. And so, as you mentioned, they created this project, um, the MAP project, Mind Effects to Physical. And the project um, is inviting survivors to share their cancer experience through a series of simple questions um, online. And, you know, I had a wonderful uh, experience in terms of support um, that I got from my family, my friends, um, the Young Survival Coalition, the Cancer Support Community Affiliate here in Santa Monica, and I even still do to this day. Uh, But I know that there are other women who don't receive 
the same kind of support, um, and they need this support. And there's definitely more information that is needed to determine what kinds of resources need to be developed to meet all of these needs. Um, and I think that the breast cancer community is now starting to realize that there are emotional and social issues not only during treatment, but also after treatment, there are a lot of emotional, um, I guess, needs that, that we have, survivors have. Um, we go through uh, fear of recurrence, there's anger, um, uncertainty, and then, of course, in social needs um, for women who may be single, how to get back into the dating uh, scene, or if you have a family, uh, if you have children, or if you don't have children, the issue of fertility. So there are a lot of things involved with breast cancer um, and, and needs that, that need to be met. So joining the MAP program was, uh, or the project, was easy, and it only took about 10 minutes. I answered some basic questions online about my own breast cancer experience, and my answers and the experiences of other thousands of women that will be participating in the project um, are definitely going to help the cancer support community figure out what these needs are um, for women who are diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, both active um, patients and also survivors. So in order to register... Um, Sharissa, I think that, that women can actually go directly to www.breastcancerregistry.org? Yep, that's correct. Um, they can actually go on there. They can uh, go to breastcancerregistry.org um, to learn more about the MAP project and to consider joining the registry. Um, also, the women who sign up, they'll have access to the latest in breast cancer news, um, the support resources for breast cancer survivors, and the opportunity to take part in other studies. Um, and, you know, like I said, it only takes a few minutes to register, and I really encourage any breast cancer survivors um, that are listening to our show right now to go on to learn more. And, you know, it's a wonderful way to give back um, and share your own experience and to help the breast cancer community figure out what it is that we need. Um, so uh, it's an exciting project, and, and I'm happy to be a part of it. I think it's a wonderful interface, Risa, and, and, and we thank you for, for joining us in the project. And it's a, it's a wonderful interface with what we've been talking about on this show, which is, you know, this, the importance of this, this new study on limited lymph node dissection is about improving the, the quality of life for survivors long term. And, um, and similarly, the, 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 the hope for outcome of the Breast Cancer Map Project is to be able to better understand what it is that survivors need long-term and what the long-term emotional and social impacts of, of going through cancer diagnosis and treatment are um, so, that, so that we're all working together and we're, we're seeing, um, as the Institute of Medicine commented, um, cancer care for the whole patient um, rather than pulling out just the tumor or just an emotional need, but really looking at how the two interface with each other. So I really thank uh, both of you for, um, for sharing such valuable information today. I think it's been a very enlightening discussion. Do either of you have any, any last comments that you'd like to make? 
been a great pleasure participating, and I, uh, I, I, wish, I wish my co-panelists the, the best of luck uh, going down the road. Thank you so much, Dr. Sledge, and thank you so much for you know your contribution today and your contribution to breast cancer. It's it's really wonderful, and um, you know I I know that breast cancer is going to continue to be studied, and you know down the road and in the future we're going to find um, you know better ways to to treat um, both surgically and as you said with targeted therapies. It's it's very exciting. Uh, it's, it's very exciting. <laughs> Thank you both so much, and um, I really appreciate your participation. The Cancer Support Community has many resources for people facing a breast cancer diagnosis. Our Frankly Speaking About Cancer educational series provides free information addressing a variety of topics, including advanced breast cancer, caring for somebody with breast cancer, and our newest booklet, a spotlight piece on breast reconstruction. For more information on these and all of the Cancer Support Community's programs, please visit our website at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's www.cancersupportcommunity.org. And while you're there, please check out our blog. Dr. Lydia Shapira, Assistant Professor in the Department of Medicine at Harvard Medical School, provides additional information on today's topic in a fascinating question and answer blog post. Thank you again. Uh, a deep thanks to Dr. George Sledge and to Sharista Shuri for joining us on today's program. And until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Support Community.org.